I was stunned when I first got into mindfulness and I started to mention it to a few people, but how many others also either did have a practice or at least dabbled. Um, so I think there's more of it going on than perhaps is spoken about. So hang on, we're saying that this is a big differentiator and that it's trainable and that mindfulness practice is a way through which we can train it. it sounds to me like um, you know, something that we should potentially all be interested in. Again, you know, how many lawyers are really talking about self-compassion? I'm, I'm not sure, but we, I mean, we can be quite self-critical. Hello, I'm Ian Rodwell, host of the Linklater's Ideas Foundry, where we talk about and try to unpick the art of working together in the 21st century organisation. Now, we all know that modern life can be frenetic, uncertain and volatile. So what if you could find a way to regain some composure and focus in this daily maelstrom? Well, enter my next guest, Gareth Lee, lawyer, executive coach and probably the calmest guy I've ever met. Having known Gareth for a little while, I jumped at the chance earlier in the year to attend one of his Search Inside Yourself leadership programmes, which takes a mindful approach to how we conduct our working lives. It was genuinely a life-correcting experience, which has caused me to think when faced with a tricky or volatile situation, so what would Gareth do here? So it's very handy that he's now sitting opposite me. So uh, Gareth, welcome to the Ideas Foundry. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Ian. Great to, great to be here. Excellent. Well, look, let's start off because you've got a, an interesting mix of roles. How would you describe your role or roles at the moment? Yeah, no, good, good question. Um, and first of all, let me just say thank you for that intro. I certainly wasn't expecting, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but it's, it's lovely to hear that you enjoyed and got something out of the course that, that we did together a few months ago. Yeah, it was incredibly insightful. So yeah, look, currently, I, I guess I balance three jobs is how I'd put it at a, at a high level. Um, I work four days a week in a, in a major international bank and I split my role there in half. So for two days I'm head of markets legal for EMEA. For two days I run the, um, the, the learning and development program globally for the division that I sit in. And then I have a third job which is, is my own company outside of that bank. That's just one day a week. Um, and it's, it's a company called Own True Path and out of that company I provide executive coaching um, and I also run group training sessions for typically law firms but also quite often other financial institutions um, and it's focused on emotional intelligence, the development of emotional intelligence for superior performance and it's, it's really centred on a lot of mindfulness based techniques. Okay, so, so as I said this is a really rich blend of roles and what was your journey to this to this point? Yeah, it's been a it's, it's been a sort of long one. That, that you know, I, I didn't go to the careers fair way back when. Let's let's put it that way, and, and get told that this is the blend that I'd end up trending towards. So I was, I was a lawyer, um, actually trained here, as, as you well know. When we when we sort of reconnected more recently, and I, I told you I'd remembered you from from when I signed up and was being educated as part of my training contract here. So it's it's lovely to see you still here. Well. And, and also, we've just had a flashback moment where, where you saw the room where you were actually interviewed in. So, but you've recovered from that. I've recovered that from that. From, I mean, maybe that is <laughs> in part answers your question. But uh, no, I uh, yeah, I started off as a lawyer here way way back when, 
and I, I moved pretty quickly in-house and I've been a lawyer for over 20 years now in, in a number of different, different banks. But it's around eight, nine years ago now I first discovered mindfulness. And I think like most of the people I talk to in the Square Mile or Canary Wharf, wherever we're based as we're doing this work that we do, most of the people I talk to when I find out that they, they too have some sort of mindfulness practice, it almost invariably began because they were at a point in their career where you know, they were under real pressure. Maybe they needed something, some sort of technique, some sort of way of, of, of just finding a bit of space for themselves. Uh, and it was the same for me. I, I was recommended to try mindfulness whenever it was eight, nine years ago when I was at a particular point under a little bit of pressure. And honestly, I can say that it, it, was, it was just instantly beneficial. I think that the fact that here was something that I could do by myself, for myself, I had agency over you know, that, that particular way of, way of coping with, with the, the pressures that I was under. And it, it, it immediately felt lighter. So from that moment, I started to practice mindfulness every day. You know, so quite obsessive, really, as it happens, Ian, from time to time. So I practice mindfulness every day, religiously. And you know, here we are so, so much later on. And, and that really has evolved over the years into something much bigger, something that, that caused the various career changes that, that, that we're talking about. So I guess originally it was this thing that, that helped me deal with some of the stresses. But then I, I realized that was just a sideshow. Actually, what we're doing here is developing self-awareness. We're developing our presence, our sense of, of who we are, who we want to be, and also a better sense of how others are doing around us. So a greater sense of empathy, a greater ability to connect, all of which is just very exciting, really, and, and I guess has, has led me on to, to, to develop these other strings to my bow as, as the time has passed. And, and how do you, well, to, to continue uh, the metaphor, how do, you, how do you find switching between the different bows that you that you have. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, look, it's a real challenge. I won't, I won't lie. It's a challenge to try to spread myself so thin and to jump across the different roles that I have. So at one, at one level, it's, it's, it's not easy. But at another level, I think that the different roles are probably more similar than you might imagine. You, know, you think, okay, lawyer versus exec coach versus mindfulness trainer. How, how, how can these things possibly sort of tie together? Where's the common theme? And, Guess how would I how would I sort of approach that? I'd say that you know maybe a good way of thinking about it is that mindfulness itself. I'd say at a you know, very high level, it trains a couple of different capacities, probably lots more as well. But two of those are clarity, so real f ability to focus, to have clarity, to be able to concentrate on one thing for a prolonged period of time without getting distracted, as we we so commonly do in this modern world. And the other thing that it trains is is a particular warmth. Um, better sense of empathy, better sense of presence, an improved ability to connect with, with those around you. So if you bring those two qualities that I'm saying mindfulness trains, you bring them into, let's say, the legal profession, wow, they're, they're actually really powerful, particularly as you get more senior. You know, as you realize, as I have done over the years that I've been practicing, that I guess what I once thought of when I was a, a more junior lawyer as being this series of tasks to execute. You know, I've got these, these widgets, these contracts to get out today almost regardless of the, the, the context that I was working in, I just needed to, to do those things and demonstrate that expertise in these pieces of paper through to, actually, I'm doing this in a context of relationship, aren't I? I'm doing this you know, either in, in a difficult context because maybe there's something contentious, maybe I need to negotiate with the other side who perhaps not bought into where I'm trying to take it, 
or maybe it's maybe it's something different. Maybe I'm now acting as a, as a team leader, as a manager of people, and I've got other people bringing issues to me. I need to I need to put down that sort of doing, doing, fixing mindset. I need to listen. I need to be truly present. I need to truly appreciate where they're coming from in, in that, that sort of leadership capacity. So I think if you look at it through that lens, through the lens that these, these are life skills, right? These, what we're doing here is, is training our emotional intelligence. Emotional. As, a, as, a, as an aside, I know you have your own interest in it, Ian, but you know, we, we look at Daniel Goleman's model of emotional intelligence, self-awareness through self-management, motivation, empathy, social skills. That's really what I've just been describing through the, the lens of mindfulness. And if we can grow that with these tools that I, that I teach now in, in corporates, as I've mentioned, if we can grow those skills as individuals, we're much more rounded lawyers than we probably were in the first place before we found them. And that's really interesting because I wanted to, I wanted to pick up emotional intelligence because there is a well let let me share an idea with you. There is I come across people lawyers who say, well, as a profession, you know, we need to get better at emotional intelligence. We're not good at and I hate the term soft skills because of course they're not soft. They're incredibly hard skills, and lawyers aren't very good at soft skills. And I've been thinking about that, and I deal with a lot of different people, different organisations, different specialisms. And actually, I don't think lawyers are particularly worse than any other, any other group. But I just wonder whether it's, they tend, I think, to be more perfectionist, so they're more self-critical and think they don't have the skills or the capacity for those skills, but they actually do. But I was just curious, because you work with a variety of different groups too, what, what would your take on that be? Mm, mm, yeah, there's some research, isn't there, that the legal profession, I think it was Seligman, is, is, if not the only, at least one of the few professions in which those who have more pessimistic tendencies tend to be the more successful, perhaps because we're often focused on looking for downside risks that we can, we can then manage. I guess that's an aside. To answer your question more directly, I am... Um, I think what I'd say, Ian, is that back to my, my suggestion that through mindfulness training, you know, amongst other things, we're training two core skills. One is, let's, let's use the metaphor of the sunshine as, as a particular meditation like a teacher yeah. usually, uh, usually sort of runs with. You know, the sunshine brings with it two things. One is the brightness. It brings an ability to see clearly. And that, that's the focus part, the clarity part. But it also brings a warmth. And the two things come together. You don't get one and not the other. Well, maybe you do if you live in Northern England. But typically, you're not supposed to get one without the other. You get these two things together. And if we accept that through mindfulness practice, we, we get a greater ability to access that clarity. Well, that's great for your lawyer who needs to sit for an hour, you know, cold towel, head down, get through this contract that's particularly challenging. But you also get this other thing. You get this this warmth that that clarity naturally brings in, in my experience. And that, that, as I say, trends towards helping people be better people people, better managers of people, better, better leaders. And so I think what I'm saying is that you know, each individual, regardless of whether you're a lawyer, you know, whether you're an accountant, a banker, or whether you're completely outside of this sphere, you know, I believe there are people who meditate who aren't even city professionals. I heard, I heard that on the grapevine. What a thought. Yeah. What a thought. Um, so each individual has something that they, they perhaps need to work on more than, you know, more than other things. And I think that's the beauty of this practice, regardless of where you are, you know, whether you're a more junior lawyer who's perhaps seeking to 
get the clarity to be able to focus, to do the, the hard yards of you know, all of the work that you need to do to develop the great expertise that we all need. Or whether you're perhaps that more senior person who's maybe moving into partnership and perhaps very comfortable with the technicalities, very comfortable with the focus part. But how are they going to engage? How are they going to actually drum up new business? You know, how are they going to become the rainmaker who clients will trust? Where's, where's that sort of skill set coming from? I think what's, what's interesting with this is that you know, the, the science will show that these emotional intelligence skills are trainable. Okay, the science will show a few things. It will show that IQ, you've pretty much got what you've got. So you're either lucky or, or less lucky. But with EQ, it's, it's trainable. And I'm not aware of too many ways in which we can actually go out and, and practically hands-on train ourselves to have greater EQ, greater emotional intelligence. And mindfulness is, is one of these ways. And if we couple that with, again, to, to come back to Daniel Goleman, who I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the, the preeminent authorities, or the preeminent authority on, on the field of emotional intelligence, he'll also tell you that emotional intelligence is the biggest differentiator of those who succeed to higher degrees in, in their careers versus others. So hang on, we're saying that this is a big differentiator and that it's trainable and that mindfulness practice is a way through which we can train it. It sounds to me like um, you know, something that we should have potentially all be interested in. Um, absolutely. And there was, there was a Harvard article, Harvard Business Review article, I think it was around last summer, which was looking at what differentiates really effective leaders. And the area of social skills was the one thing. That was the big thing that they identified. But I guess this brings another challenge, which is you know, the environments with which you and I are familiar could be characterised, and I think perhaps unfairly or very simplistically, as fast-paced, driven, serious and commercial. So, so how easy is it to bring mindfulness into this particular, particular world? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great question. I, so there's a, there's a few things. I think the first thing is I was, I was stunned when I first got into mindfulness and I started to mention it to a few people at how many others also either did have a practice or at least dabbled. Um, so I think there's more of it going on than perhaps is spoken about is, is the first thing. You know, increasingly with, with social media, with some uber achievers um, you know, relatively famously saying, yeah, I, you know, I get up at 4 a.m. and I meditate every morning and then I do yoga or, or whatever they do. I think mindfulness has become this, this thing that's, that's no longer um, hidden in the shadows. It's, it's at least understood as being there for people and, and therefore people have potentially tried it. That's the first thing. But to answer your, your main question around you know, this, this sort of hardcore environment, how does it land? I think when I, when I first approach a law firm, let's say, to say, hey, do you, do you want to talk about some training that I might do for you? you know, there's a question for me. Do I lead with the M word, mindfulness, or do I lead with EQ? Do I lead with the, the tool that gets you there or the, the outcome that potentially you're looking for? As we're talking about within this conversation, one outcome may well be for an individual that they really improve their emotional intelligence. Again, to be, to, to be sort of... Uh, useful to, to the listener about what I'm meaning by that, you know, to, to develop your self-awareness, to get a better sense maybe of when you're triggered and potentially about to become reactive rather than noticing that you're triggered. Developing this sort of awareness of how you're doing in the moment and then managing that 
and choosing a more skillful response, about noticing how those around you are doing, about developing your presence to engage with those around you so that they're engaged with you and you have a higher quality conversation, which potentially leads to greater degrees of psychological safety in teams. You know, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? The FCA would like that. I think the SRA would like it as well. So, you know, th those are things that are, that are potentially available. And, and if, when I approach a law firm, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's about what do they want, right? What, what do they want? What are they looking for? I've, I've, I get quite a lot of work in May. It's uh, well-being week, well-being well month, well-being uh, well time of the year. And so those sorts of presentations are perhaps more focused on the well-being side of, of, of what you can get from mindfulness. But equally, if I'm talking to senior leadership personnel, people who want to work on, look, how do we get our partners to, I don't know, grow in X, Y, Z ways? Well, that's a different conversation, and that's starting with emotional intelligence, starting with those sorts of available results. And, and you're right, mindfulness may be one of the vehicles that we're using to get there. That, there'll be various mindfulness tools in the training that's offered. But I think that's, um, that's, that's part of the answer, and in my experience, you know, what, what, are the, what are the people who you're working with actually looking for? What are they likely to buy into? And, and therefore, how do you position what it is that you're offering to, to suit really what they're looking for? Uh, and I think that you know, that makes perfect sense. And so, look, I wanted to just build on that a little bit. You know, are there any examples, safe examples you can share of how, you know, the work that you do has been received in this environment? Mm. Yeah, there are, there are loads, Ian. I mean, what comes to mind? So I did a particular, it was, what was it, an introduction to mindful leadership. I did it for a group one lunchtime at a, at a big law firm. And yeah, it landed well. It's, it's interesting, you know, you've always got at least, there are at least three groups of people, I like to think at a high level in the room, or, or maybe one of the groups doesn't really come to the room. So what one group is those who are bought in, those who, yeah, I've got a mindfulness practice, you know, I've got the app, I, I believe in this, I enjoy it, and they're just keen to, to, to hear more on something that they're comfortable with. Then at the other extreme, you've got a group of people who potentially, you know, they're not interested. And that, that's fine, I think. Sometimes I'm asked, how, how do you convert people? I've no interest in, in converting anybody. You know, I've found this thing that, that I find particularly useful. I've shared it with a number of people who've also found it particularly useful. Some don't, and that, that's, you know, that's fine. That's fine, we're all individual, we all do what we want to do, and it's, it's really just an offering rather than something that I'm trying to force down, down people's throats. So there'll be a group at the other extreme, as I say. Maybe, maybe they don't come or maybe they sort of sit and, and genuinely look unconvinced and, and don't really engage. And then there's this middle group. They're my favourite group. And they're the group that I'd sort of describe as almost if you could draw a thought bubble, like a cartoon thought bubble coming out of their mouths. It's like, hmm, what if he's right? <laughs> <laughs> and so they listen. Because I guess you know, I sort of look like them. I've got a CV that sort of looks similar to theirs, it's, and I'm there sort of swearing blind, this, this is good, this, this works, this is what it's done for me. So that's the, that's the group I enjoy most, because that's where potentially, potentially you can, you know, you can really help people, you can, you can really connect and, and help them find something that, that, that perhaps they, they were looking for, whether they knew it or not. Um, so yeah, back to my points, where I do like a tangent, as you, you may have noticed. I did this talk for a particular group at this, this big law firm, and I, I thought it went quite well, but I heard afterwards, here was the the outcome. I heard afterwards talking to a particular person in that group that the head of the group had pretty much immediately after that talk banned devices from their weekly team meetings, wow. which was a huge shift, right? Because the whole thrust of the talk was, you know, how can we be more present with each other? How can we 
be more mindfully present of where people are, what they're saying, how can we engage better? And, and to ban devices, I mean, for somewhere like this big law firm that I'm talking about, that's, that's a big deal. But, you know, apparently the, the outcome was, was intended to ensure that people were truly engaged and, and maximising their time together rather than doing what we always do, which is, you know, the myth, the myth of multitasking. That's amazing. So it's something very tangible that yeah. immediate, immediately came into, into effect. Mm. And another one, I've got a couple of others, I guess. One would be a particularly senior lawyer. So back, back to my sunshine metaphor, you know, we've got the clarity, we've got the, the warmth. It's a particularly senior lawyer who said to me, maybe six months after we'd done some work together, he said, you know, I'm still using one of those tools. And it was a self-compassion tool. So again, you know, how many lawyers are really talking about self-compassion? I'm, I'm not sure, but we... You know, we can be quite self-critical. Um, I think people can. Right? People at large, it's not just about lawyers, but maybe lawyers you know, especially, um, we can be quite self-critical. So there's a particular tool that we talked about in the training that, that was designed just in the moment when a person felt under pressure, felt particularly self-critical. You know, they could just use this tool to try and lighten that, to try and recognise that you know, in that moment they were doing their best. In their moment, they didn't need to sort of hold on to, to, to the noise that they were perhaps attaching to, to what was happening. And I say this, this guy came back to me six months after, and you know, I'm, I'm still using that, I'm really using that in the moment, it's really, it's really useful, thank you. Which was, again, just awesome, because I'm, I'm spreading this stuff because I, I believe in it, it works for me, and when it connects, that's, that's a lovely feeling. So I guess that's had a couple more, but I, th I think that'll do. Fantastic. Now look, let, let's focus on you. How has, how has your work with mindfulness and coaching changed you? So I guess self-awareness implies that I should be able to answer that a little bit for myself. Maybe you also need to interview my wife, children, friends, peers, colleagues, and we, yeah, we need to do a, a 720 at least. <laughs> but look, look my, my take on it is, maybe it's a bit like when you, you take up exercise, if, you, if you've not done anything for a long while. It's, it's, Actually, post university, as I arrived at Linklaters, and then a series of banks. I, uh, you know, I sat down at my desk quite well. I ate quite well. I drank quite well. I, I didn't do much else, and you know, time time flies. And then I got into fitness, and it it, it, it takes a while. You know, it takes a while of, of starting to run before you start to really notice the benefits. And maybe you know, you look in in the mirror, or you look at your five k time ten years later, and you think, okay, that's that's changed. And I think mindfulness is a is a similar thing. You know, there was, as I mentioned earlier, there was that sort of immediate benefit that I felt from having some sense of agency, some ability to, to do something for myself, by myself, that would help me. But you know, that, that wasn't some neuroplastic change that, that occurred in one day. I think that was more the sense of, of relief that I had something to use. Um, but what, what happens with mindfulness, of course, is, I say of course, <laughs> is, is the, the brain changes in structure and in form. Okay, and it, it does this anyway, it does this absent mindfulness. We get better at doing the things that we focus our attention on and we get worse at doing that which we neglect to do. A great example would be a London cabbie. So London cabbies have been found to have hugely enlarged hippocampuses in their brains. And you know, it ain't the case that, that people with massive hippocampuses from birth happen to find their way into becoming London cabbies. Of course not, rather they do the test known as the knowledge. The knowledge requires them to be able to navigate from A to B via a series of different routes through the, the quirky, squiggly city of London. And so they develop this amazing knowledge of, of uh, spatial awareness and, and you know, where things are in, in, in the map of London in their minds. 
and that develops as they practice that over time. Now similarly with, with mindfulness practice, just to give an example for your average lawyer, what we're doing is finding some time to step away, step away from the contract. It will still be there to you know, let go of, of the sort of typical way that we, that, that we practice, somewhat myopically, really zooming down into you know, the, the present moment of drafting the contract, but also drifting off into the future, what pitfalls might arise, the past, what pitfalls arose last time, etc. And, and just taking some time to, to do something different, to focus on the breath, to be a little more expansive, maybe to feel into the body. I, I think through mindfulness practice, I, I remembered that I have a body. Right, rather than existing as a head on a stick, as you know, I do as a lawyer from time to time, I, I remembered actually that there are these other centers of, of wisdom. You know, there's a heart, there's a gut. This is data, this is emotional data that's telling me what's going on. I won't go down that tangent, otherwise that's another half hour. But you know, mindfulness really over time through, through deliberate practice, it changes the brain in structure and in form. That's, that's a fact. Um, for anyone wanting more, look up Altered Traits by Daniel Goleman and Richard Davidson. You know, fantastic summary of, of some of what science suggests mindfulness has, has done to, um, to, to people who've practiced in terms of beneficial changes. Um, so what, what does that mean, to have neuroplastic changes in my mind? I, I think what it means is that I'm a bit happier. There's a guy in America has an app called 10% Happier. You know, it's, it's not factually accurate, but you know, so you can put your finger on it. Yeah, I'm about 10% happier, so a little bit happier, a little bit lighter. Um, I think I listen a lot better than I did. I think I'm less judgmental. I think I'm a better manager. So for those, uh, for those listening um, who want to become a little bit happier, better listeners, etc., what... Um, and who want to bring mindfulness into their working lives, are there one or two techniques that you can recommend or changes that they can make? So I would really recommend an app. Um, there are many, many really good apps. The one I really love is called Headspace. So for anyone curious about, about getting into mindfulness, about giving it a try, you, you download Headspace I believe there's still a free trial, maybe 10 days, 20, I don't know what the free trial is, but you, you give it a go. And it really just entails carving out a little bit of time, perhaps in the morning. You know, if you do it at night, you risk falling asleep, um, which isn't ideal. So yeah, maybe in the morning, or maybe it's, it's at lunchtime, you know, you find yourself a spot in a park and it's nice in, in London, sit on a bench, what have you. But you just spend a little bit of time focused on your breath for those few moments. And, and critically, and back to my, my sort of sunshine idea, when you find that your mind's drifted, which it, it will do, it does, that's what the mind does. You catch it and you don't beat yourself up and as so many clients of mine tell me, oh, I, I tried, I can't do it, I, I don't have the concentration. So nobody does to start with. So you catch it and you maybe give yourself a little smile, gently bring your focus back to your breath and, and begin again. So that, that's one, one thing to do, potentially to download an app and have a go with it. And then another thing would be maybe just to deliberately each day, you know, try to find some more mindful moments. So a way of doing that would be perhaps to put a pinger on your phone. Um, you know, maybe it pings every couple of hours. And when it pings, you, you just put down what you're doing. Take a breath and just notice. Um, notice what you're doing. Notice how you're doing in that given moment. You know, it's surprising. There's a study done out of Harvard 
A Wandering Mind is an Unhappy Mind by Matt Killingsworth and others. And it found, I believe, that around 47% of the time people are focused on stuff other than that which they are doing. And they also found that typically when people are focused on stuff other than that which they're doing, they're less happy. That could be anything. I'm not talking about fun stuff only. I'm talking about doing the washing up, putting the bins out, you know, chores. If you're present with and focused on that which you are doing in a given moment, the science will support a view that you'll be happier than if your mind's drifting off into the future or drifting off into the past. You know, talk about the flow state from Csikszentmihalyi, um, you know, discovered this, this idea of flow, which again, I'm sure many lawyers will relate to. When, when they're in their element, they're really in the groove working on a particular contract. There's no sense of time. There's no sense of, oh, when will lunch arrive? They're just in it, they're doing it. Can we access that flow state more readily by remembering just at certain points in the day, perhaps as I suggest by a phone pinging us, to, um, to just take a moment to remember where we are, what we're doing, and just to catch ourselves if we have drifted. Again, the more we do that, the more it, it sort of grows that ability to, to be doing that even when we're not realising that we're trying to. Well, those two fantastic bits of advice seem a perfect point to close this discussion. Gareth, it's also given me a couple, because we're recording this on a Friday, it's given me a couple of good intentions to carry out over the weekend. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for coming in, for seeing the room where you were <laughs> interviewed when you came to Linklaters <laughs> all those years ago. Um, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, oh, this discussion. You. Thank you. Really such a pleasure to, to come and do this with you. Thank you so much.